You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show, the first show after Christmas. Hopefully, Santa brought you everything you could have wished for. I wake up today, Tuesday, December the 27th. It's a very nice morning here in TW11. Apologies if I'm a little croaky. The Christmas excesses are probably getting to me. Certainly, punters uh, were, were given bountiful gifts across Britain and Ireland and across the world yesterday. You might be wondering how on earth a horse that was rated 117 on the flat went off at 9-2. to two. Uh, for his novice hurdle debut and won that was high definition or indeed how harry derham's uh, much talked about first runner as a trainer the assistant trainer to paul nichols went off at 11 to 1. you might be wondering how rare edition the winner of the novice hurdle at kempton won in a time only two seconds slower than the imperious 17 length winner of the christmas hurdle yes him again constitution hill and you might be scratching your head at how paisley park and time hill both rolled back the years to win grade one races what you won't be wondering is how Paul Nichols won another King George, because that's simply what he does. We'll hear from him in a few moments' time. But first of all, welcoming in with a fair bit of festive cheer and, and spring in my step, Lydia Hislop to the show. Lydia, what a day it was yesterday. What were your initial thoughts on the King George? I thought it was a real feel-good day all round, really. And I really enjoyed the King George. I thought it was an excellent um, addition to watch. I, I haven't crunched the numbers yet. That's something I'm going to be doing today and uh, looking back in great detail. But I thought that Braveman's game, as we expected he would be from the quarter star victory 12 months earlier, very much suited by a King George, the pace of it, the test of it, the jumping. It was all there. He was being slightly inconvenienced by Lompresse, who was going going out to his left at his fences and unfortunately um, did that and and seated Charlie Deutsch with a, a stumble at the last when he was booked for second. But Brave Man's game was going to be an imperious winner. I thought Royale Pagai ran really well. Eventually he inherited second. I thought that was an excellent run on his belated seasonal debut. I thought Frodon went out on his sword. It was a shame that Hoy Senor didn't perform better and wasn't sort of allowed to go off unfetteredly. Um, but in the end, I thought the Brave Man's game was a, was a very good winner and punters would have been surprised, I think, by the 11-4 to they got if they stuck with him. Another gift, another gift, the 11-4, to particularly as Paul Nichols have been telling everyone for, for long enough, and I spoke to him a few moments ago, this is what he had to say about Brave Man's game's performance yesterday. It's just it's just older and stronger, Nick. You know, I think I was trying to explain to some of the guys in the press that, like last year, if I ever tried to do three counters up our hill, he'd sort of nearly take a week to get over it. And this season, he hangs up there three times and it's all much easier for him. It's just he's a big, you know, big horses take a lot of time to mature and he's getting there. And I still think he'll keep improving physically, not ability. He's always had ability, but they're just big raw babies, you know, and he's just been showing us plenty. And I was so pleased with his first win at Weatherby when I knew he wasn't really ready. So it was going in the right direction, everything. If you're going to run in a King George at Christmas, halfway through the season, you've got to have him ready for their life. And, you know, we didn't run him much. He had that kept him fresh. And now we're going to go straight to the Gold Cup. He'll have a month quiet and then pick him up and, you know, get ready for the Gold Cup. And, um, you know, that's that's our plan. 
I like the fact that you're unequivocal about that. I mean, I, I sort of feel as a traditionalist, that's what King George winner should do, running the Gold Cup, really. Um, as, as sort of, have you have you sort of changed your view of him, really, as a horse who, who actually could get three and a quarter miles quite well? Well, on, on yesterday's race, he stayed on very strong and he was, you know, from in the first time and he, he didn't have the best passage around I was watching it again a minute ago could have been a bit easier for him but he you know he got himself out of trouble with long press he jumping across him and being a little bit stuck wide and then he galloped all the way to the line now horses that win a King George and I've had Seymour Business Corto do win gold cups you've got to stay at Kempton so he's getting there now and I think he's got that ability to jump and travel quite well if the ground was what I call decent good to soft ground perhaps a challenge that'll suit him very well and yeah we gotta we got to give it a go and I, I spoke to you about this a few weeks ago, the idea of horses' suitability on, on various tracks. Uh, I mean, I look at him and I see a horse who jumps economically, it sort of travels away in a quite a well-balanced way. I can't see an obvious reason why he can't be effective around Cheltenham, really. No, I, I, absolutely not. And to be honest with you, he ran very well there as a five-year-old of hurdles. I mean, he just didn't win because he got beat by two better horses on the day. And to be honest with you, he was such a big baby then. He's not half the horse then as he is now. And sometimes it just takes time to get them into that situation where they'll show their best at Charlton. And I think he's eight in the spring. He's obviously getting where we want to. And I don't see any reason why not either. He's, he's uncomplicated. And I think the important thing is now he showed us he stays. You ran three in the race. Frodon took him along at a, a, what appeared to be a right lick for much of the way. Were you quite proud of him? Well, he loved being a bowling along in front. It shows all his enthusiasm. And um, we'll either run him at Taunton in that Portman Cup on the 21st of January or go to, back to the Cotswold Chase if it wasn't too soft and then pick our races in the spring. But yeah, mighty proud of him. And and the hitman the, the hitman project that I'd been banging on about for ages it didn't quite come off and I read he bled um, was it a bad was it a bad bleed no well a, a three out of five so it was enough enough to stop him but I I suspect what he did when he made that very bad mistake he landed in on the fence that often causes him to you know take a big gulp or sort of win himself and then then bleed and uh, he's not a bleeder it won't probably happen again and I'd say we'll get him right to the spring perhaps go somewhere. You know, like the Ascot Chase or two mile five or something like that, those sort of trips, and be, ride him a bit more positively. I think it suits him to be ridden, use his jump in rather than be dropped in like he, we did yesterday. So I think we learned something about him yesterday. What did you make him look fabulous yesterday? He underperformed yesterday on that ground. He, I, don't, I don't think any of those novices at the time, there was a bit of an issue with the sun down the back straight, jumped particularly well, and none of them were comfortable really. He certainly didn't jump as well as he can, and he travelled okay, but was. I didn't find a whole heap up the straight. He, he, I'd say on that ground he wants two and a half, but probably for him to be his very best, he likes the ground bordering on being good to firm like it was at Newbury. So we really just got to wait for that type of ground for him. And I did wonder, I mean, if you if you won the Welsh National today with Freddie Gingell riding in a race named in memory of his mum on Truckers Lodge, that would be, that would just about top the lot, wouldn't it? That would top the lot. It would be fantastic. You know, and if it started raining at 12 o'clock and rained for three hours and got tested, there's no reason why he won't run a big race. He loves it around there. He's actually, in effect, got a lovely weight and uh, it'll be great for Freddie. So, you know, big if, as you know, in racing, but if it happened, it would be wonderful. Or if the big breakaway won for Joe, it would be fantastic. Um, but I, I yeah, trucker, I'm just playing it rains all day and he's got a chance. Right, that was Paul Nichols. Lydia's back with me. And Lydia, it just throws up the intriguing question that is going to be asked a million times between now and March. Can Brave Man's Game produce a performance of that calibre um, when it matters? Well, yesterday mattered an enormous amount, but but when it matters next time? 
My, my view about Brave Man's Game, and it has been consistently my view ever since he ran third behind Bob Ollinger in the Ballymore in 2021, where really he was the second best horse in the race and he ended up finishing third, is that I think he needs a flat track and the rhythm that a flat track brings about. And if you look at where he's been campaigned since then by... Paul Nichols. I know that he was he was intended to run in the brand advisory at the Cheltenham Festival. It was pulled out because of the grand. But if you look at everywhere else that he's run, it, it seems to me that the that, that flat tracks have been targeted. Now maybe the program leads you to that direction, but maybe not. So I mean, my view would be I have no I had no concerns about his stamina for the King George. I have no concerns about his stamina per se. What I do think about Cheltenham is that the undulations could interrupt him. Now, admittedly, I'm going on one piece of evidence, which is always a bit wah, wah, but he was also beaten at Chepstow by Soaring Glory on his Novice Hurdle debut, and again, you can read that a different way. But for, for me, I think that this is, a, this is a rhythm horse, a classic flat-track rhythm horse, and I think he will be very, very hard to beat in the King George next year and the year after, and possibly knowing Paul Nichols the year after that as well, given how well Frodon and Clandazobo have won at, run at age at Kempton. But I don't instinctively don't feel that Cheltenham is his place, and I think that, I mean, the market reflected that afterwards. Mm. You know, Long Presse proved that he was very well-suited the brand advisory uh, last year albeit a horse in was eating into his lead in the closing stages I would point out over a shorter trip than the Gold Cup and I would imagine that Lompresse will be better suited by the test of the Gold Cup than Brave Man's Game but the, I'm not saying anything that the market doesn't already think. I would take a I'd take an opposing view I know I was leading the witness slightly there with Paul Nichols but to me I, I, I think the horse is quite economical and I, I like the way he I like the way he snapped back on the bridle yesterday when he was pushed along turning for home. When he was pushed along, I thought, well, he's not going to get home as well as Lompresse, even though Lompresse had been jumping out to the left. But he came roaring back on the bridle and he just finished out his race much stronger than yeah. than ever before. And I, I've, I've got to say, I, having not had a wildly, you know, outrageously positive view of him going into it, I came out with a pretty outrageously positive view of him. I, I have to confess. There is a different interpretation, which is that he was just immature previously, and only now is he actually growing into his abilities. The asset that he has always had is that thing that you first mentioned, the efficiency of his jumping. It is superb. It is cat-like. It is, it, it, it's a bit best mate-like in many ways, in that you know, it, it's just so accurate and efficient and ready. It's not, he doesn't waste any energy being flamboyant. And that was that was going to be a classic set between him and Galapin Deschamps, but judging by Galapin Deschamps' John Durkin return, he too has learned not 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 to be so unfettered at his fences. So it's it's sizing up to be a very competitive next generation Gold Cup, and hopefully on Wednesday, a Plutar, the title holder, can bounce back from his Betfair Chase um, defeat and the travel sickness that Henry de Bromhead thinks was responsible for that. Hopefully he can bounce back and represent the old guard. It seems ridiculous to think of a horse of his age being the old guard. But you see what I mean? The next generation of uh, second season just out of novice company chases are all coming through. Uh, Nichols made an interesting point in that interview, Lily, about the sun getting in the way of his novice chases. Jolino Bello fell and he said McFabulous didn't run his race. Good to see Time Hill winning a grade one over fences. Um, nonetheless, what did you make of those comments? That kind of kind of insight, uh, I think it, it seems to me to add some validity to what you were looking at from the outside. It just looked like a weird race. I mean, I'm in terms of grade one form, 
I'm not really going to trust it, literally. I think it was great that Time Hill has shown that he can handle um, fences because that was definitely in doubt after Exeter and after Newbury. It was great to see him bouncing back and and, and we have a dual franking of the long walk form from 2020. I'm sure we'll get on to Paisley Park in a moment. But I was glad to see it for Time Hill. Do I think the race is worth much? No. Oh, Paisley Park was great. I mean, the idea that he he couldn't win round Kempton was firmly kicked into touch, and he was a he was a big price as well off the back of what he'd done at at Newbury. It, it was it was super to watch. Yes, it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, I, you know, had me on my my feet, had me shouting when they turned for home, and he'd ha- he'd hit his hat spot, his flat spot, and Champ was in front and and Goshen uh, just behind, and you could see that Paisley Park was not was was close enough. He was close enough. And um, again, watching in my living room, you sort of yell at the television, you know, Paisley Park is, is is close enough here. He's close enough here. And he actually did it very easily. I'm really struck by what Barry Fenton was saying afterwards, that that spark is back again, that the horse at the age he, he is, it's actually as good as ever. And they can see it in their homework and you can see it on the race course. It was there in the long distance hurdle when he was beaten by an absolute perfect ride from John Joe O'Neill Jr. on Champ. You know, we would all... I, the market assumed, I think we'd all all thought, OK, well, Champ's just going to be much better suited by Kempton than Paisley Park. And there was kind of an overreaction to that, I think. So, I mean, that was partly the feel-good moment, wasn't it? When Paisley Park went in so early in the day, you just thought, oh, this is going to be a good day, isn't it? It was a stronger return all round than, than in many previous years yesterday. Uh, Constitution Hill did what we expected him to do, but it was 17 lengths at the line, Lydia, yeah. at a track uh- like that. That was the thing that startled me. I think, and I think Epitant ran better than at Newcastle as well. I know she was beaten further, but I think she was beaten further because she tried to get competitive, whereas that just wasn't happening. Um, it, there was a mistake, wasn't it, that, that, that exaggerated the um, the distance between her and Constitution Hill in the fighting fifth here. She she looked good. I, I, I concur with, what, with Aidan Coleman's view um, immediately after getting off when he said, one, Constitution Hill's a freak, yes, and two, he thought Epitaph was running as well as she did 12 months earlier. I, I suspect she was. I thought she was going well throughout. Turning for home, I thought, ooh, actually, you know, Constitution Hill might not be as impressive as usual here. Boom. <laughs> Just she was completely blown away by him. So, yeah, I, I think that was a that's a, a deceptively good performance from Epitaph and then one of those where if you get competitive, you actually get beaten further. Well, there was so much good stuff at Kempton yesterday that you'd have been forgiven for uh, just glossing over the opening hurdle race, particularly as it wasn't on network television. Uh, It was won by a horse called Rare Edition, trained by Charlie Longston, by seven lengths in, and listen to this, a time of 3 minutes 53.9. Well, what's funny about that on OK Ground at Kempton? Well, just have a look at the time of the Christmas hurdle, 3.51.95. It was only two seconds slower off the same weight as uh, Constitution Hill, so roughly eight, nine lengths, depending on how soft you think the ground was, slower, which is pretty remarkable. And it marks Rare Edition out as one of the best novice hurdlers in Britain so far this season, for sure. Um, but he's still 25 to 1, 33 to 1 for the for the Supreme Novices Hurdle. His part owner is Bill Esdale, uh, and Bill joins me now. And Bill, we, we should clear one thing up. The Racing Post tells us this horse costs 450 grand. Now, I know you're doing well, but it, I think they've added a naught on, haven't they? They definitely did. But it depends on who's asking, as they say. <laughs> but no, <laughs> no, it, he definitely didn't cost 150 grand. He was 45 grand. And he looks 45,000 extremely well spent at the moment. He probably is worth 450 grand at least now. Um, to what extent has he taken you and your partners and, and Charlie Longston by surprise? 
Yeah, well, he's done it. He's done it little by little, little steps, and you know, we've always kind of lived the dream with him a bit because he's Charlie's always thought he was very good. But you know, every time you run, you know, you just carry another penalty, and you think the bubble's going to be burst. And we, we generally went to Kempton very hopeful, but you know, you're in at the deep end there, and you're taking on. Nichols and Henderson, and you suddenly think, "Well, this is this is. It's been a great journey. We're going to lose our unbeaten record." And he was he was just brilliant yesterday. He was superb. He was right there in it from the outset, going a right good gallop, and then drew right away and stayed on incredibly powerfully under Sam Twist and Davis. I, I thought to myself, "Have they left a have they left the Grade One Tolworth hurdle behind by doing that?" Yeah, well, we we, we were looking at the Tolworth, but the, we just didn't want to give him that terrible ground because he was bought to be a chaser anyway. And then you worry in the back of your mind about what the ground would be at Sandown on the hurdles track. And we spoke to a lot of people and consulted lots of people. And lots of people said, look, just just take it easy, go to Kempton. You're going to learn more by going to Kempton. And, you know, when they turned into the straight, I thought, well, everyone's going to close on us. And they didn't. They were strung out like the washing. It was just weird to watch. It was a, an excellent performance. You've got to think about this horse as a supreme novice's hurdle horse now, haven't you? Yeah, I mean... Charlie said to everyone yesterday, look, we'll, we'll just enter him in everything. And, you know, we want semi-decent ground. We don't want to run him on that really bad stuff, um, he- heavy ground. But, look, you can only live and dream. And we haven't seen Fasal Vega run. And that's going to make everyone run for the hills. But, uh, yeah, Cheltenham is on the radar now. It never was before. We always thought we might go to Aintree potentially. But, you know, Cheltenham is definitely there now. It's in the back of our minds. And tell me a bit about the Pay the Bill Syndicate. Yeah, the Pay the Bill Syndicate is great. There's there's, there's around fourteen in the in in the syndicate. We pieced. I mean, the strange thing about it was it was something I came up with with Charlie at the Cheltenham Sales a few few years ago. Now, when we picked uh, Rare Edition and, and a horse called No World Word, who hasn't yet reached her full potential let's put it that way um, and we pieced around 14 people together Ben Clemenson who's, who works with me as you know is in um, Nathan Savage who works for me Mike there's, there's millions of there's millions of men I won't list them all but it's, it's it's a good bunch of people a lot of people associated with CTM the paper that I write for they're all in so no, it's a great it's a great gang all right, that was Bill Esdale, part owner of Rare Edition. And as he said, depending on who you're talking to, the Racing Post can either be right with their £450,000 purchase price or, in fact, wrong, as they actually are. It's £45,000 he cost. But he, as I said to Bill, Lydia, he's probably worth half a million quid now after yesterday. Oh, he's superb. I really like this horse. hes I know he's unbeaten, and you know what I think about unbeaten tags. Uh, you know, generally, it, it means that you haven't been uh, that competitive. This horse has been competitive. He's gone to Worcester, Doncaster, and now Kempton. He's put up a really good time. I like the performance overall, and he's just an exciting young horse. I like him a lot. Yeah, I like him a lot too. I Last thing I watched last night, actually about 2 o'clock in the morning, was Lossy Mouth. Winning, winning the juvenile at Leopardstown. There's a great, I think it's one of the best camera angles in in televised jump racing, the the sort of swing for home at Leopardstown. They get right up close to them and you can see, really see them side on trapping down to the last hurdle. God, I thought she was good for one with so, so little experience. 
Yeah, that's the that's the key thing, I think. I mean, that was only her third start. She had a win in a toy when trained by Yannick Fouin. I don't know. Have I, I probably haven't pronounced that right. How would you pronounce the you, surname? You have. You have. I'm sure you have. Because I don't know anything about Yannick Fouin, but I do remember doing lots of French racing with Claude Charlie and yeah, Yannick Fouin. So, yeah, I think you're about right. Oh, good, good. Thank you very much. Okay, I'm chuffed. Right, and then she won a really glacially run uh, grade three at Fairy House at the start of December. It was really good just to see her swim winging through this race i thought her stable command companion galamasso made a pretty promising debut in second for willie mullins um and nusrat who's got some decent staying form um from the flat he he ran perfectly well back in third further behind were some horses that she'd already beaten but she did it in even more impressive style this time and yeah she looks for a, as you say a filly with so little experience she's so professional um, and she really, she really gives it some as well. So she's exciting. I mean, she's a short price now for the JCB Triumph Hurdle. And the only thing I would say, and this is obvious really about juveniles, isn't it, is we probably haven't seen her main rival yet, uh, given the holdups that we've had in terms of, first of all, two quick round, and then uh, that hard frost during the, the pre-Christmas period. There'll be some horses that have been held up whose debuts would have might have happened anyway. And even within the juvenile division, you quite often don't get horses that, that, that won't make their debut over hurdles until February and then are a force in the key spring festival. So in terms of that sort of six to four that's everywhere, I'm just a little bit nervous about it because I would imagine her main rivals we haven't yet seen. Well, she's not going to be any shorter on the day, you wouldn't have thought, would you? Uh, how I asked at the beginning of the programme, did a horse that was rated 117 on the flat with Group 1 form start at 9-2 to two for a maiden hurdle? It probably tells you something about how much better jumps horses are now to what they were 10, 15, 20 years ago, I guess. Um, but High Definition did indeed start at 9-2, to two, and he duly won by four and a quarter lengths with a pretty positive ride from from JJ Slevin. What an intriguing horse he is, Lydia. Will he, will he cut it at a high level, do you think? Well, I mean, I think one of the, the other reason I think that maybe he went off at the price he is is because he rather, he slightly unfairly got a sort of tarnished reputation, didn't he, in terms of he was all the talk after he went at Beresford as a two-year-old. He then went to the Dante. He was expected to win and he looked slow. And then after that, he proved to be pretty slow, um, you know, g g relative to his, his his breeding and relative to the expectations that were being put forward to him. But he did run two of his best ever races only this year, the second to Alan Kerr in the Tassels Gold Cup, the third to Hookham in the Coronation Cup. You know, they were decent performances at Group 1 level uh, but he's got this reputation of having a touch of the slows and so I think that sort of preceded him going into hurdling and uh how, how did he go I mean he went like a horse with a high class engine um that uh found hurdle, hurdles slightly bamboozling as you know I think he probably you, you probably understand um high definition's point of view from that wouldn't you given it given his pedigree I don't think he ever really expected to be encountering these obstacle things but encounter them he must um and he kind of jumped right and he was a bit scrappy and in the end his his engine kicked in uh it'd be interesting to see what happens when he's up against horses that handle hurdling more slickly but I'm sure he'll do plenty of schooling in the meantime and maybe he'll get better and talking of a horse who'd been consistently underachieving relative to expectations for an awful long time, step forward Saint-Roi, who suddenly faced with chase fences, looked a slightly different proposition, I thought. 
And written slightly differently as well, uh, up against uh, Phil Dorr, because previously when he was beaten by him at Navan towards the end of, of November, he made the running. This time around, uh, Mark Walsh decided to stalk the field. Um, again, there's an, an element of, I'm not really sure what this form is worth. Two mile one, grade one at Leopardstown, you would think that this was going to be really competitive. Looking at the field, albeit that there's only five of them, again, you would think that, but... Phil Dorr made a really serious mistake. I mean, a really bad mistake three out. And he somehow got back into it, but you felt like the stuffing had been knocked out of him at, at that point. Hollow Games, his stable companion, ended up looking a bit slow. Midnight Run, who's a second season novice chaser, he looked out of his depth at this kind of level. And it, it looks like he'll be heading towards was handicapped towards the end of the season and uh, the other grade one in Ireland was the Faheen novice chase which was not won by Faheen's trainer Willie Mullins even though he had three runners in it but was won by his great rival Gordon Elliott who's Jerry Colomb further strengthened what looks to be a very very good hand in the novice chase division this year Absolutely. After the um, t overturning of Phil Dorr and Hollow Games, this was a, a positive for, for Gordon Elliott. Jordan Gainford was on board, which is something I think we're going to be increasingly seeing, aren't we, now that David Russell has uh, retired, that Jordan Gainford taking on these significant rides. Jerry Colomb likes deep ground, looks like a thorough stayer. This trip looks probably his, his minimum, um, but he was able to control it pretty nicely, Jump, jumped well. The notable underperformance was kill Crutz again he just doesn't seem to I mean it looked like from his debut of offences that he was going to find this discipline really playing to his strengths but you know he didn't he wasn't going well from a, from a, a long way out it wasn't really jumping that that well and in the end it was adamantly chosen his stable companion who chased Jerry Colomb home well you remember last week we spoke to rookie trainer Harry Derham who was about to have his first runner that first runner was a winner and if you if you took SP you'd have been very well rewarded see a lot more business went off at 11 to 1 having been 7 to 2 in the morning at Huntingdon yes they never saw another rival uh, under Paul O'Brien winning trainer joins me now well well uh, you love it when a plan comes together Harry I don't suppose you had too many moments worried did you no I didn't to be honest um I was in, obviously incredibly nervous beforehand, but um, Paul just came out and said, everybody wants to be handy and there's not a lot of pace. And I said, well, I'd be very happy for you to do it yourself because, you know, learning from Paul, we always just thought, we school of thought to try and keep things simple, really. And um, Paul gave him, a, I thought Paul gave him a perfect ride. He, you know, he got him in a lovely rhythm and jumped very well. And um, yeah, it was, it, it was, it was a really, really amazing result. Yeah, it was just a. It was a day that I'll, I'll literally, I'll just never forget that. You know, mum and dad have been obviously absolutely amazing to me, and and my biggest supporters um, always. And you know, they, they, you know, have put a lot into helping me get this up and running, and um, you know, having a horse in training costs a lot of money, and um, to to win like that for them was was just absolutely magic. So there's change in the air, new trainer on the block, going to train plenty of winners, but some things never change, Harry, and a 13th King George for your old boss, Paul Nichols. What were you thinking when you were watching Brave Man's Game win the King George? I was giving the right old chair, I must say. Um, Brave Man's Game won an extra novice hurdle, must have been two years ago now, or three years ago. Um, and I promise you, I was stood next to him and he crossed the line. He said, I'm going to win a King George with that horse one day. So that'll tell you how long he's been planning it. And, you know, he just produces them to, to the absolute minute. And what I think is amazing about Paul is that he's had that horse sort of three years now. And 
I would suggest that was probably his best performance. He just looks to be getting better, and that's what I think is so good with him. He just keeps improving these horses. The the last couple of times we've spoken, you've given a strong mention to a mare in your yard called Helen Claremont, who came from the Irish Point field. I see she's entered this week. Is she likely to run? She is entered. She's ready to go. Um, she did a nice half speed this morning. Uh, Ryan's really happy with her. Whether I go this weekend or next week at Fosslass... Uh, there's a minute's novice hurdle there. I'm just trying to work out whether I want to go two miles or two five. But we're, we're ready to go. They're really happy with her and really looking forward to running her. Harry, best of luck with the next few runners. Thanks so much. Well done. Thanks, Nick. Well, wherever racing was taking place yesterday, there, there was one story that stood out above, above all others as a, as a triumph, really, for a real passion and involvement in the sport and that was the victory in the Roland Merrick chase one of Weatherby's feature races of the year for Into Overdrive who's bred by the Hamiltons Clock of the Scales Michael and his wife Wendy who initially trained the horse and was ridden um, to boot by their son Jamie and is now a realistic Grand National contender certainly according to his trainer um, Mark Wolford Wendy Wendy Hamilton's with me now Wendy it's probably just worth explaining what you're doing at this precise moment while I'm talking to you <laughs> I am literally um, in the stable with Into Overdrive's little brother. Um, yeah, just about to turn about in a snowy, snowy field. Uh, so, tell me a little bit about where, where you're based and, and how long you and Michael have been involved in, in breeding and owning racehorses. Oh gosh, well, we live in the Scottish Borders, um, just outside of Hoyk, which you probably have heard of because there's lots of very successful jockeys trainers in this area. We thought we're initially farmers. We, we live on a hill farm. Um, and as I just keep telling to everybody, Into Overdrive is literally born in a boggy field. And, yeah, the family goes back years. I don't know if you remember Earl's Brig. That was my father-in-law's horse. So they're all related. I, I do remember Earl's Brig. In fact, I'm pretty sure I remember Earl's Brig running in one of the first King George's I ever went to as a young boy, maybe in the, in the early 80s. Would that be right? Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So um, my father-in-law... Red Earlsbrig, um, and you yeah, know he had he was bred in the Gold Cup. Yeah, so it all goes back a long way. So it is particularly very very special. And yesterday's win. Here's a horse that you began training yourself for points. Points was it? Was it always the intention? Did you always think he was good enough to, to go in training under rules and and work his way through the ranks that way? <laughs> Not at all, really. To be perfectly honest. Um, so his other two. Uh, brothers um diamond brig and over to sam i bred them they were lucky enough um they won their point points first time we sold them um and then this this lad into overdrive i didn't win a point to point with him so everybody's questioning my training skills now <laughs> um covid struck and point to points came to a halt so we put him into training with mark um jamie works for mark and mark's great to jamie and they're just a great team so we thought right we'll send him down there um and this time last year if you told me we were going to win a race like the rolling merrick i would have you know yeah well i would have taken it but wouldn't believe it and yeah it's just a fantastic story it's so nice for jamie to have a great a nice horse to ride and so nice for mark and the team though i mean they really are a team in there um and it's, yeah, it's just fantastic. I can't quite believe it, really. I mean, to, to, to breed the, the, the winning horse and, and the winning jockey of a prestigious race like that, it, it, it could only be, be bettered by, by one thing, perhaps, and that, that is winning a, a race like the Grand National. Your, your trainer, who's not 
renowned for saying outlandish things seems quite keen on the project would would you and, and your whole family like like to see that would you like to see him in the race yes i guess i mean yeah of course definitely um i mean i think mike and mark maybe did just vaguely mention it yesterday and then we were reflecting last night over a glass and we said i think mark mentioned the grand national but michael's like yeah but in 2024 but i think he actually means the one coming up um and absolutely it's a dream isn't it for for owners, breeders of jockeys and horses and everything else, yeah. But we wouldn't say no at this time anyway. Mark has just phoned me, said the horse as well, so we'll go on from there. Uh, and Wendy, I gather that the line is now coming to the to the end, and you don't have a filly, which is a which I guess is the one is the one great sadness. So all hopes resting on the on this guy and his and his little brother. Very sad, yeah. We had a beautiful filly fall, but sadly we lost we lost her. Um, so it is, yeah, it is. It, it has got a little bit of a sad tinge to it. But yeah, we've got him still to enjoy and this two-year-old by Joanne to, to enjoy as well. So the dream is still alive, shall we say. Yeah. Wendy Hamilton there. And before that, Harry Derham, two of the great feel-good stories of what's been an excellent 24 hours in the sport in Britain and Ireland. Uh, that's lovely, the, the Hamilton story, Lydia. I'm just sorry they haven't got a filly to continue the line, but it's it's years and years of of hard work and sheer passion and enthusiasm, and I'd I'd love it if 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 he did line up in the Grand National as trainer Mark Wolford clearly fancies this year, eight year old Mark in the high one forties. He's going to be bang on, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. And he's he's very, very progressive. He stays very well, but he holds his position nicely as well. I know Noble Yates rather overturned that way of winning the, the national, the archetypal way of winning the national in April. But I think he's probably an exceptional horse. Into Overdrive looks I- ideal to me. I thought it was the, a, a de- really deep edition of the Royal America, as deep an edition as I can remember for some time. Now, a few horses disappointed. Chambly, for whatever reason, was never going. Sporting John had one of his down days. Chachi House was, was, was running quite well when, unfortunately, he fell um, three out. But I, I thought into overdrive. And obviously, he's Frank Lompresse's form as well from the rehearsal chase. Um, I thought that was a, a really good performance. And the story that you, you've just been telling us is, is, is wonderful. Uh, that is, is the beating heart of jump racing in Britain. And uh, it's great to hear it and it is a shame that there are no fillies to carry on the line but i'm sure into overdrive can write a few more chapters yet and as someone who, who grew up with a, with his mum going out feeding horses at five o'clock in the morning in the freezing cold especially on christmas day and around the christmas period i can only imagine what it's like in the scottish borders at the moment if it's uh, <laughs> yes. i mean it's not as cold as it is in kentucky where it's a minus 28 degrees centigrade real feel minus 37 feel for all of you there at the moment but um, you know, it, it it takes it takes a lot of doing day in, day out. And it's the same applies to, to all the staff who are looking after these horses at the moment. While we're basically enjoying the Christmas period and eating and drinking too much. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was doing. You know, too much trifle, too, yeah. too much everything, really. No, no trifle for Frankie Dottori. He's got to be lean and mean and it's his fittest and his lightest. And he was last night, his first day in California in this in this new stint. And, and three winners straight off the bat opening day at Santa Anita crowd of 41,000 and he rides the grade two San Antonio winner the Dubai World Cup winner country grammar he also rode a winner for Doug O'Neill and a winner for Simon Callahan um and and that, that that's a hell of a start that's a great start it really is a great start uh, how long do you think he'll be out there oh a, a, a bit longer than perhaps people think I, I think anyone who thought that this was a 
this was just a bit of a a bit of frippery just to while away the final year on a bit of a, a farewell tour i think probably ought to think again i think he he's very focused on making this a a particular success mm. um yeah he's going to need his his excellent agent to keep firing him firing the rides up but he the fields are not huge in california um and he is going to be richly in demand i would think uh and if he's prepared to ride pretty much day in day out then that's going to give him an advantage over one or two yeah. of the other senior riders there and uh, I, I can see him lasting well the key the key is for him to get on a couple of good three-year-olds i think to take him on the derby trail i think that will that will determine how long he stays yeah i think that's a, a critical point i agree but a focused frankie de Torre is uh, is a joy to behold isn't it and if they and the evidence of of that uh, suggests that 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 is where he is at the moment in his mind and that will not escape uh, the attention of people who who need that who need that kind of focus and the kind of brilliance that Frankie Dottori can bring so I hope he does get it on on some decent three-year-olds and I hope he has a, a very good and profitable time out there and I think the difference in America particularly California it does not take people long to just key in to 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 whoever's riding well and and whoever is the hot property at any given time. Now it's unusual to have a hot property that's fifty two, but <laughs> or you know bright young thing and all that. But it's it, it's not going to be a big leap of the imagination for people to put him on because they they know how good he is and they know what he's done. So we'll follow yeah. this. Go on. And he'll, he'll give them. He'll you know, also he'll give them a good time as well. And you know he he is Frank and Tory and you know he will he will he will add to their day, which is which is always a good thing. Well, I do realise that at this time of the year, it's almost impossible to know what day of the week it actually is. But I can assure you it is Tuesday, which means it's the day where we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's. Uh, many of the stallions based in South Africa are based in the Weatherby Stallion book and the Global Stallion app. Uh, and an awful lot of those will have progeny selling at the upcoming featured Cape Thoroughbred sale on on the 12th of January, where there'll be a number of bloodstock agents re represented from, from Europe. Those will be some names that you'll be quite familiar of. Chief amongst them, perhaps Canford Cliffs, but also Give Me the Green Light, Master of My Fate, Rafif, and many others. You might also remember that on the first uh, of December, I spoke to Justin Fermack about the many changes that have taken place to the whole running uh, of of South African racing and Cape racing and sales and the way they've been been integrated. I'm very pleased in in that respect to welcome to the show today Grant Knowles, who is now running Cape Racing Sales. So, Grant, perhaps just a, a recap of of how that has changed and how that's become a slightly different part of the way that the whole the whole scene is run. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Interesting times. It's been uh, quite a many three four months, but uh, obviously Cape Thoroughbred Sales was the leading sales company in the Western Cape. And since Greg Bortz and his team have taken on Cape Racing, it seemed appropriate to put the sales division actually into the racing operator's arms, basically. So whatever profits the sales make, that goes straight back into the sustainability of prize money and stakes for the racing operator. So I think all in all on that uh, balance structure now that actually all proceeds from sales rejuvenate racing going forward as well has been very favorably received but uh, they have kept on the cape premier yearling sale and uh, that's going to be an exciting sale on the 12th of january so it's not not a completely dissimilar setup say to something like keeneland i guess 
In fact, that is the model that is probably uh, being based on. So it's very similar to that. They've got the race course as Kenilworth and Durnville. They've got the sales company as Cape Racing Sales. And obviously, they're going to be looking at enhancing other revenue streams to be able to make racing more sustainable going forward. So not just purely dependent on tote turnover, but other income such as your uh, profits from sales of thoroughbreds and putting on sales rates and making sure that your horse population grows is all key to the sustainability of the sport in the Western Cape. So how key is this particular sale, the sale that's taking place in a, in a couple of weeks' time, to South African racing full stop? But historically, how significant has it been? Well, it's, it's relatively a young sale. So the sale, as in the Cape Premier yearling sale, is only 11 years old. Um, this will be the 12th running coming up now. And in saying that, it's produced some of the best horses that uh, South Africa has seen, including a couple of stallions, uh, multiple of Group 1 horses. I think from those 11 years, there's been 48 individual Group 1 winners coming from that sale. And a lot of them have been owned by international clients. So that's also been the most encouraging thing. So I think when you think of South Africa, a lot of the guys, especially internationally, think of Cape Town. They love to use Cape Town as a destination to come and enjoy some of the winter months up in the Northern Hemisphere. So they come and enjoy our summer. And while they're here, they participate in owning racehorses and enjoying the races such as the Lomrans King's Plate and obviously the Met as well. So uh, they highlight their whole encounter here in South Africa with maybe buying a horse, watching their previous horses run and enjoying the atmosphere of South Africa and the Western Cape over the summer months. So in a sense, this, this from a racing and sales point of view, is, is the shop window for, for South African racing. It is indeed. And the most important part of that is obviously we've always had a bit of a problem being able to export horses, but there's been a lot of ground made there in terms of the EU having been here. They've completed their audit. We're just waiting on that result. And there's also been a couple of other protocols that might be uh, put forward pretty soon. So basically we're going to be able to say we're going to be able to have our horses on the international stage in a much more comfortable manner where they don't have the arduous trip of going through Mauritius into Europe and then uh, basically six months to get to their destination if they were going to the Far East. So once those doors are open, then it's a bit more of a level playing field for us to get our horses out and uh, to show off our bloodstock that can compete in the big international meetings. Well, I think uh, that it's going to be a very exciting couple of years for South African racing. Uh, and you mentioned that, that there was a little bit of progress being made with the, with the EU. Is there any progress being made with the UK as well? Yes, absolutely. So obviously, since Brexit, the, the formal negotiation started when the UK was still in the EU. So obviously, since then and since Brexit, they have had quite a number of meetings with the, the UK government themselves, which are looking very promising. Um, and so to Qatar is another destination as well. So there are doors that are going to be slightly starting to be ajar, which will uh, give us a bit of a more, uh, probably a bigger light at the end of the tunnel for you know, to say to the internationals that might come to the sale. Well, if you do purchase here, there's a huge chance that you're going to be able to get your horses out the country if that is your ambition, or you could race them here when you're paying in rands, which is such a cheap alternative to racing anywhere else in the world. And um, you're quite quite well placed to judge. Inherently, do you think the quality of the of the top level South African racehorse is is getting better as better stallions are are imported? Very much so, and I think what will enhance that even more, Nick, is if something were to happen like uh, we get the protocols right and we in the position that we can shuttle stallions in from the likes of Coolmore, Great Britain, um, because obviously we're different season, Northern Hemisphere to Southern Hemisphere. If that opens the door and we get some really top-notch international stallion power here just to raise that gene pool even further, 
I think the sky's the limit in terms of what our thoroughbreds can do. We've, we've produced some great horses. We've won on the international stage in Australia, Group 1 level. Obviously, in Hong Kong, we've done really well with Variety Club winning the Hong Kong Mile, which was the first international horse ever to be able to do that. So our track record is actually very good. We've had success in the UK with sprinters, not necessarily horses that go over the 2,000-meter trip, but our sprinters seem to be competitive anywhere in the world as well. So I think with doors opening and with shuttle stallions being a part of that progress, I think certainly there's going to be a much more uh, upward trend than we've been envisaging the last couple of years where we haven't been trading due to COVID, obviously, and also due to uh, African horse sickness. Uh, and this Cape Premier yearling sale that we were speaking about, powered by, by Tattersalls, tell me about your relationship with them. Yeah, that's a fantastic initiative for South Africa. Tattersalls have always been supportive of racing in South Africa. They've sponsored a couple of juvenile races. They've put on bonuses for juvenile races. They've got great relationships with our leading buyers, the likes of Gaynor, Rupert, Mary Slack, and the likes that go out and actually buy at the Tattersalls sale. So they've always wanted to give something back to South African racing. And uh, when we decided to go back to the Cape Town Convention Centre, which is a world first in its own right to have a, a horse sale in the middle of the city centre in your convention centre where we build the temporary stables. Um, we knocked on the doors of Tattersalls and said, guys, we need to elevate this. We've got the EU protocols have being looked at. There may well be an opportunity to launch Tattersalls with us as a partner when the doors of our international trade partners might be opening up as well. So everything seemed to make sense. The timing was right. And uh, Jimmy George and his team were uh, very keen to give us that support and we're very proud to have that name associated to the sale. And in terms of the catalogue that you're looking at this year, who do you think are going to be the, the major highlights? What will be, people be looking at most, most closely? Well, I think there's obviously some really good stallion power in this book. I, I marked out a couple of lot numbers, but some of the fillies that are on offer as well represent some of the best pedigrees in South Africa. So if there are people wanting to buy a filly that has uh, the pedigree to match anywhere in the world, well, they can have that opportunity as well. I know you mentioned quite a few of the stallions earlier on, and Canford Cliffs is the obvious one that's a relative newcomer here. We've got some really good stock of his on the sale. Uh, we've got Gimme the Green Lights, who was champion sire last year. And then we've got Versing Getrix's which um, he's the leading light. He's the son of Sylvana, who's been champion sire here in quite a few times. I think probably three or four times he emerged as the victorious stallion here. And his son, Versingetrix, just narrowly got denied by his dad last year. And I think he might be able to get one better. We've got a whole array of stallion power that uh, represents Group 1 type class. Thank you to Grunk, and it really does sound as though South African racing is transforming itself at the moment, which is good news, and we might be able to see some South African horses in the EU and the UK if what Grant was saying comes to fruition. Lydia is back with me and has a tip for today. I do, um, and that is in the Coral Welsh Grand National at 2.50 at Chepstow. I really like the Irish Raider, the big dog. I think he's got every attribute that you need in order to, to win here. Um, he, he, he holds a prominent position. He stays really well. Largely, he jumps really well. Um, I know that he ended up um, pulling up after a bad blunder in this race last year, but that really was an aberration. That's not really him. Um, and I think that uh, he can win. So it is the big dog in the 250 at Chepstone at the time of speaking. You can get six to one. Right, Lydia, thank you so much. I'm off to Kempton to go and see Edward Stone and Newby Negra and a whole load of other good horses. The good stuff just keeps carrying on. Don't forget, Lydia Hislop and Ruby Walsh will be live on Racing TV from Leopardstown Racecourse with a special edition of The Road to Cheltenham. And that will take place on Thursday morning before racing 
Uh, don't miss it because racing is starting quite early at the moment. Um, yeah. So road to Cheltenham Thursday morning live on Racing TV. Can I add? Ruby. Yeah. That the pods Jane Mangan will be there as well, and Lisa O'Neill will also be there. So if you get along before racing on Thursday, we'll be looking at back at all the key action, both in Ireland and in Britain, that has already happened, and we'll be looking ahead to that day's racing as well. Thank you very much for that plug. Jane and Ruby will be signing autographs, mainly Jane. <laughs> Right, that's it. Um, uh, we will see you tomorrow. That was Tuesday, December the 27th. It was a bumper edition, but it was worth it. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.